Well, good morning. I can start service for those of you who are in the house this morning because someone went like this at me. And so that means that those who are home with one of the 8,000 viruses that is going around in the Petri dish that is Northeast Ohio uh, can enjoy the service today. So if you're home in the Petri dish, we love you and we're glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. Good morning to those of you who may be new. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Life and we're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Uh, if you are interested in learning a little more about the church, we'd love to learn a little more about you. There's a communication card in the seat back in front of you. And if you want to fill that out and take it to our Welcome Center, which is just out these doors to the right after service, we'd love to say hello to you, give you a gift, and this week you'll get contacted by our executive pastor, Pastor Otto. He'll let you know a little bit more about the church. So if you're watching online and would like to know a little bit more about the church, you can go to vlchurch.com. And you can click the New Here tab, and that would be an opportunity for you to let us know that you were worshiping with us online. Just one major announcement to make to you this morning. As you walked in this morning, you received a, a printed copy of Life Groups. I know many of you have already signed up for Life Groups online this week through our Planning Center app, uh, Church Center app. We're excited that you've done that. If you love a paper copy and love to be able to see what that's all about, you can look at some of our Life Group offerings and make a selection today. If you're interested in being part of one of our groups, all you have to do is make a selection, and once again, you can take it out to the Welcome Center, just out these doors and to the right, and we'll be contacting you prior to your life group beginning and letting you know how you can participate with us. So those are the two major announcements of the morning. As many of you know, uh, this has been a tough week for us as a church. We've lost two people who are beloved around here. And they are sitting in the presence of Jesus this morning. Marcelin Rogers, of course, a charter member of the church, went home to be with Jesus early Friday morning. And then a little bit later in the day, Reverend Richard Kershaw, who is the father of Laura Gibson, also went on to be with the Lord. And so as a church this morning, we are mourning the loss of some pretty wonderful people, but we are excited today that they're in the presence of the Lord Jesus. We're happy today that they've received their reward and they're with the one who loved them first, most, and best. As it is, we have people to pray for this morning because people that we love are, are in mourning today. And so before we worship today, we'll pray for those families. Finally, this morning, if you're interested in giving unto the Lord this morning, you want to worship him through your tithes and offerings, you can do that in some different ways. Uh, you can text to give. You can give online at vlchurch.com. Or as you exit the sanctuary this morning, there is now a tremendously secure offering box that cannot be broken into unless MacGyver comes and opens it. And so if you want to drop your offering, your tithe into that box on the way out this morning, you are welcome to do that and worship the Lord in that way. There's another way to worship the Lord today, and that is in song. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray over these families who we love this morning, but we're also going to pray that God would prepare our hearts to give him praise and worship this morning. And whatever's going on in your life today, remember, the king is on the throne and the Lord reigns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that Marcelin and Reverend Kirschel are in your presence. We thank you today that they have seen their Savior face to face. We pray for their families today that your presence would be with them, that your peace would comfort them, and that they would rest in the knowledge of what you have done for their loved ones. God, we want to rest in the knowledge of who you are today, and we want to be excited about who you are today. So in this place, we do declare that you reign. You are God in heaven, and here we are on earth, asking for your will and your way and your kingdom to come among us. 
Holy Spirit, enliven us now to give right praise and right worship to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask all these things in his matchless name. Amen. Amen. We put our hands together this morning and worship.
know this is how we know what love is just one look at your cross and this is where we see this is where we see how love works for you surrendered your all this is how we know that you have loved us first and this is where we choose to love you in return for you so
this morning when you look at the gospel, when you look at what Christ has done, the only response is praise. In true adoration, true gratefulness for what Christ has done, the response is praise. That's exactly what we're going to do right now in this moment is thank him and praise him for the sacrifice, for loving us first.
Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the privileged position that we have as American Christians, where we can stand in a church without anybody pressing upon us, without any fear of gathering. We can afford every instrument under the sun to join the chorus of heaven today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privileged position that we're in. But the same thing that they're doing in the halls of heaven this morning, we get to do here. That the same presence that is there can be here if we ask. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made it so. by forgiving our sins and giving us the promised Holy Spirit for each and every one of us to experience your presence. Lord Jesus, we declare today in this place that you are worthy for all that you've done, 
both in the words of scriptures, but in the lives of we believers gathered here. We declare that you are worthy because of what you're doing in our lives right now, making us and molding us into the people that you designed us to be. And Lord, we declare that you are worthy because of what you're going to do. You're going to redeem us fully, body, soul, and spirit, and make us new to live in your presence forevermore. You are worthy. Lord Jesus, we ask today that you'd never stop giving us glimpses of glory, that you would always allow us to feel keenly the presence of your spirit when we ask. And that, Lord, our worship would be sweet music to your ears. For it's what we have to give back to you. We pray all these things in the worthy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time to go down the hall and get a lesson with Miss Jody. You will also be in Acts chapter 13 this morning. That's your cue. Acts chapter 13 this morning, uh, as we will be in this place. Oh, the blessing, too, of being able to go to children's church. Some of you are wishing you were joining them right now. I don't know what they're doing, but it has the potential of being more fun than what we do here. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. I remember that when I was a kid, we didn't have children's church every single morning. Sometimes we would be in church maybe fourth Sunday or fifth Sunday. I remember sitting through my dad's 48-minute messages. I remember. Some of you are like, we were here. We remember too. But I learned a love for the Word of God during that time especially the last few pages with the maps. That's what I really enjoyed. Because when you're in 40, you know, minute 42 of a 48-minute sermon and you're a kid, what you have is the maps, right? You were lost in minute number 20, right? So maybe 15 if you were lucky. And, and so you get in the back of your Bible and you'd see, okay, this was Abraham and he journeyed here in the Holy Land. And this were the tribes of Israel, and you'd be like, I think I can remember three of those. That's cool. That was their allotment. And then you get a little further on, you're like, oh, those were the victories of David. David was a, David was a warrior, and he expanded the little mini-empire that was Israel at the time. That's pretty cool. And, and then you see the miracles of Jesus. Jesus did a miracle here. He did a miracle there. He did miracles everywhere. You're welcome. And finally, what's the last thing that you see on those maps? Do you remember? You'd see a red line, and you'd see a blue line, and you'd see a green line, and you'd see a yellow line, or maybe a purple line, right? And what do those lines represent? The missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. So important to the history of Christianity was that red line, that green line, that blue line, that yellow line that it gets a map in the same way that Jesus got a map, David got a map, Abraham got a map. Pretty important. Those lines in the back of your Bible where those maps are, 
are representative of four of the most important evangelistic exploits in the history of the world. Not only are they important because of the churches that they founded and the explosion of Christianity into the Gentile world, but we also have a record of those journeys in Acts chapter 13 and following. We are told the story of what all those dots on the map and all the places where those lines go and what took place in those places. And then, to make it even more exciting, we can cross them against Romans, Thessalonians, Corinthians, Timothy, Titus, and so on and so forth. The Apostle Paul was not just a tremendous evangelist, someone who went out and preached the gospel in different places, but he also wrote theology back to the churches that he founded. Now, for those of you who know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, he was the one that made Christianity far more accessible to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. But what is so impressive about Paul's evangelistic journeys from Acts 13 and following is that while his strategy was very simple, I'm going to go to the synagogue and then I'm going to go to the wider audience of this city, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, the way he interacted with people was incredibly complex. He almost never did or said the same thing the same way twice. He realized that he needed to be all things to all people, and he needed to have different tactics, if you will, at every stop. And so for the next eight weeks, I would like us together to learn some lessons from the red line, the blue line, the green line, and the yellow line. Look at this powerful evangelist that we know as the Apostle Paul today and see the way he interacted with real human beings in the pre-Christian world. Before Christianity was known, before the name Jesus was household, if you will. Because some of these interactions are so powerful and so timeless that if we grab hold of the inspired word of God and what Paul did in these places, we're going to become better evangelists, better gospel tellers, better light shiners. And after all, that's what we're doing as a church this year. We are exploring how we can better shine our light into the world as Jesus told us to do. Well, why not now go into a master class with a master evangelist and see the way he interacted with people and see if we can become better at what Jesus told us to do? Are you in Acts chapter 13? Let's take a look at some of the first lessons that Paul gives us in terms of how to tell people about Jesus. We're going to be reading 12 verses here of narrative, which could go on for just a little bit. So if you need to do some calisthenics to not fall asleep as we read, you do it. Chair calisthenics, standing calisthenics, we'll just think that the Holy Spirit caught you, and uh, we won't worry about it. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and following. Now, there was a church in Antioch of Syria, and there were prophets and teachers there. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul, we know him as Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, 
And from there they sailed to the island of Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John also to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they met a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But the magician Elymas, for that's the translation of Bar-Jesus' name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now listen, the hand of the Lord is against you and you'll be blind for a while, unable to see the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he went about groping for someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, saw what had happened, he believed, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Now, just on the surface of things, you look at that story and say, if that's the evangelist I have to be, I'm not going to be an evangelist, right? Right? This is a zany story. This is crazy. This is a great thing to try, to try to kind of kick off this series because this is pretty wild. But this is the type of evangelist you can be. This is the type of, of Jesus speaker and Jesus proclaimer and Jesus witness that you can be just in a way that suits you. And we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that, it's important that we just kind of note what's going on here and work our way through the scripture bit by bit so we can understand what God requires of us. Now, this church in Antioch was a great church. Not only was it a great church as related in the book of Acts, but it's a great church in the early history of Christianity. They sent out many missionaries. They were a church that was thriving. In fact, we find out from Acts chapter 13 that they had five pastor teachers who were kind of leading this church in strength, two of whom we know from earlier in the book of Acts. Barnabas, Barnabas, who is a representative of the main church down in Jerusalem, a representative of Peter and James and all of those folks and John who were part of the earliest church, and Saul, who happens to be his mentee. Barnabas is the mentor. Saul, who we know as Paul, is the mentee. They were two of the leaders of this church in Antioch. Now, if you want to read about this church in Antioch, there's plenty of church histories, or of course you go to Wikipedia, because everything's true on there, and you can find out what this church in Antioch was all about. But suffice it to say, it was very strong in the preaching and the teaching of the word, because Luke lets us know that. Luke happens to be the writer of the book of Acts. Luke lets us know they had these five pastors, and they were great prophets and teachers. Now, I say to you preachers and teachers today because the role of preacher had not yet been kind of developed within the early church. A prophet, in its most simple sense, is someone who speaks from the Lord. So we're talking about preachers here, folks who would have divine inspiration to tell people from the Word of God how that would then apply in their lives right now. So that's what I'm doing. I'm operating in a prophetic role. Prophecy within Scripture is sometimes I predict something. But for the most part, it's speaking from the Lord with divine inspiration. Sometimes ecstatically, you know, you're really caught up in the presence of the Lord as you deliver a message to people. 
and therefore the, the prophetic message comes across in an ecstatic way. With that said, these were preachers and teachers who were grounding the church in Antioch strongly in the word of the Lord. And of course, we know that their, their impact over the course of the years going out from Antioch, not just as related in the scripture, but as related in early church history, was massive. The second thing Luke lets, lets us know is they were strong in what I would call the presence of the Lord. They were strong in the spirit of the Lord, for this is a church that worships and fasts and prays and really waits upon the presence of the Lord to do what they think they ought to be doing. And of course, we have this story related to us that we preached before, that Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, are said to be sent out by the Holy Spirit with a simple word. It just says here in the scripture that the Holy Spirit said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for me because I have a work for them to do. And they're going to know what it is and what to do and all that good stuff. Imagine if the Holy Spirit was to speak that strongly to our community. And, and right away we could say, you're out of here. We've been trying to get rid of you for some time. You're out of here, right? And we have the opportunity to send you out to what God wants you to do. It just is very simply, the Holy Spirit spoke kind of like, and, the whole, and God appeared to Abraham, right? There's just a simplicity to it, and there's a surety to it. And so they really understand the presence of the Lord. And we see here in Antioch, they understood the presence of the Lord because they worshiped and they fasted and they prayed. That's the strength of the Antiochian church. The preaching and the teaching, the worship and prayer, and the presence of the Holy Spirit combined that allows them to send out two of their greatest leaders and not even feel it, but also those two greatest leaders become the red line and the blue line and the green line and the yellow line. You know, the cool thing about those maps in the back of your Bible is you look at what Abraham did, and you're, you might see over here to Babylon and the Tigris and the Euphrates River as it comes over, and then you're in the Holy Land. And then you look at the tribes of Israel, and they're in the Holy Land. Then you look at David, and you're in the Holy Land. You look at Jesus, and you're in the Holy Land. But if you're looking for some variety, you get to those maps, red, green, blue, and yellow, because we get over into Turkey and Greece and Rome, Europe and Asia North Africa, not for Paul, but for others. And you begin to realize that the early church spread powerfully and exponentially. But what made the church spread powerfully and exponentially was its strength in the word and its strength in the spirit. And we learn a great lesson from the church in Antioch that was also true of the church in Jerusalem. Shining your light springs from strength in the word and strength in the spirit. It's very simple. What you do in church should be reflected outside of the walls of the church. Now, the problem with American Christianity is we can often be very good at one and not so good at the other. We can be churches who are very, very strong and ecstatic experiences in the presence of the Spirit. You perhaps have been at a church that you knew the presence of the Lord was there from the minute you walked in because people had fasted and prayed and sought and they were all going to worship and they were all going to go after the presence of the Lord. And that was the whole reason they gathered was to go after the presence of the Lord. And you experience the presence of the Lord in that place. And yeah, things might get a little weird because sometimes when the Spirit of the Lord shows up, weird people show up too. The Spirit of the Lord is not weird, but people are. And so sometimes if you're really good at being a church that, that really invites the presence of the Lord, things might get a little bit weird, but people are going to be changed because the Holy Spirit's there. But then there's the other side of that in American Christianity, where sometimes we really focus solely on the preaching and teaching of the Word as the reason that the church has come together. 
And this sanitized, whitewashed version of Christianity really can be defined by their trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit is not really an entity. And Jesus, they would say Jesus is everything, but in their practice, they deny the spirit of God that points to Jesus. And that's a problem, right? And, and, and I, I think for those of you who have been around American Christianity long enough, you can understand what we're talking about here. It, it's really hard to strike the balance between being a people of the Spirit and a people of the Word. Yet the early church seemed to do it without a problem. They didn't need to be a church solely of the Word, nor did they need to be a church solely of the Spirit. They were able to find the balance to say, we have strong preaching and teaching, but also when we gather, we need the presence of the Lord if we're going to shine our light. Because the Spirit of God's primary role in the world is to point to Jesus. And the Father, Son, and Holy Bible people would be like, right, that's right, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Don't tell us about any of those supernatural giftings, they'll scare us. He po- the Spirit points to Jesus. Yes, the Spirit points to Jesus, so if you want to be an evangelist, who do you need to know real well? The Holy Spirit. Who do you need to be enlivened by and, and, and empowered by? Wait here in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come to you, and then you will be my witnesses into Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Those were the words of Jesus. We have to be firmly acquainted with the presence of the Spirit, as well as strong preaching and teaching, in order to even want to, desire to, shine our light into the world. And that's why it's so important that the church does both. All right, let's get away to Cyprus here. Now let's go back into this story and take a look at what Paul and Barnabas do next. They go to the island of Cyprus, which is kind of off the coast of the Holy Land. It's been ruled by the Romans for 80-some years. Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, works for Rome. They start at the southeast corner of the island. They move over to the west coast of the island to make their way into Paphos. And we see that this is a team of three. It's a triumvirate, if you will. We have Barnabas the mentor. We have Paul the mentee, who's kind of the best speaker of the bunch, okay? And then it says they had John to assist. This John is John Mark, author of the book of Mark in your Bible. Now, when Luke says assist, that might be a very loaded term, because he uses this exact same word in the first of his books, which happens to be named Luke. For those of you who might not know this, Luke and Acts are a pair. They're written by the same person, One, to describe the ministry of Jesus. Two, to describe the ministry of the early church. Luke Luke uses this word assist in the opening of the book of Luke, and he uses it as an assistant of the word. He says, I needed to know what Jesus did, and so I listened to many assistants of the word in the Greek so I could understand the eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. Did and who was around. So he would have listened to the story of Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and others who were there. And we know from early church, uh, early church history that John Mark, the person with them, was likely there for the passion of Jesus, certainly there to see the resurrected Jesus, and was there at the earliest moments of the Christian church, as it was founding under the leadership of Peter and James and John, John Mark would have been there experiencing the decisions that were made, the theology that was coming together, the doctrine that was coming together, the worship practice that was coming together. So most likely, John Mark could have said, I am an eyewitness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. What a great assistant to have on your missionary journeys. But also, John Mark could say, Hey, Paul, hey, Barnabas, that's not really what Peter said. we got to make sure that we get back into line. 
I'm not saying that Paul's a liar or Barnabas was a liar. I, I'm, I'm making this up out of thin air. There's no example of this in Scripture. I'm just saying, he can say, this is how it was, and this is how it went down, and this is what the church decided. So he, he plays an important role. I doubt that John was just there carrying the bags and making sure the passports didn't get lost is what I'm trying to get to you. All right? So... We see the structure of Paul's ministry. Here's the strategy. Here is the simple strategy. Remember last week we talked about making a plan to shine your light? If you don't make a plan, you ain't going to do nothing. That was, that was, that's some good English. That is, that is what we talked about last week. Grab a calling worksheet. Do something this year. Make a plan to shine your light or you probably won't do anything. Paul's plan was simple. I'm going to go. I'm going to get to the city. I'm going to get to the synagogue. That's where they read the Old Testament. And I'm going to say to my fellow Jews, hey, that long-awaited Messiah that you've been waiting for, Jesus of Nazareth, that's him. Let me show you from the scriptures how it's proven. Let me tell you what the Messiah did for us, and let me try to convince you that he is the one, the Savior that we've been waiting for. Now, that was the way to start. Jesus said, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, and Paul recognizes that and, and makes mention of it in the first chapter of Romans. I go to the Jewish people first as Jesus went to the Jewish people because holy history comes down through them. But this strategy is savvy, because when you go to the synagogue, you also meet God-fearers. Now, this is, this is the Jesus came in the fullness of time, Jesus came at just the right time portion of our, our sermon today. And here's the idea. The Old Testament had been disseminated throughout the ancient world by this time. And the Jewish people had been dispersed throughout the ancient world as well. It was rare in an ancient large city that there would not have been a synagogue, that there would not have been Jews who were making their scriptures available to, to Gentiles. And therefore, there were many people, at least I shouldn't say many, there were at least some people in almost every city that Paul and Barnabas go to that already, even though they were Gentiles, believed the Old Testament. They believed in the one true God whose name was Yahweh, I am that I am, existence himself, and that he was going to send a savior. They would have had that belief system. So while they might not be full Jews, because there were ways that you could convert to Judaism fully, we won't discuss them here, pretty grisly business, but long story short, okay, is that, is that there were God-fearers in every city. So if you first preached at the synagogue, you would begin to meet Gentiles who also believed that they were waiting for a Savior. And if you meet Gentiles who believe they're waiting for a Savior, you might get to meet their friends as well and begin to unpack the scriptures to them. To the point where we have no indication that Sergius Paulus was a God-fearer, or, and let me just define God-fearer again, just for simplicity. God-fearers were people who believed in the God of the Old Testament, okay? But they had not become full Jews, all right? If you knew God-fearers, you got introduced to more people, and somehow when they get to the other side of the island, the Roman governor, the proconsul, there's a difference in Roman you know, politics, but just for simplicity, said, I want to hear these guys. Can you imagine just having that evangelistic mindset? Think of the doors that it can open for you. If you just have a plan and you begin to execute that plan, who knows where God's going to take you? You never know. I remember a good friend of mine, he, he, he had us praying one time because they were on their way to minister at a new village in Africa that they had been targeting for years, and both their buses broke down on their way to the village. And so they sent out the Facebook, because it's the 21st century, right? You sent out a Facebook message, put on Instagram, hey, we're in trouble. Look at our buses in the mud, right? And we're not going to be able to evangelize the way we're supposed to evangelize, and it becomes a thing. 
Well, when the buses aren't going to get fixed, they don't know where they're going to go, they just started walking, and over a hill was a village that they'd never seen before. And they ended up sharing the word of the Lord in that village and had great impact for the gospel of Jesus because the buses broke down. You never know when you go out with an evangelistic mindset where you're going to end up. I doubt Barnabas and Saul sitting in the church at Antioch that day when they're getting sent out think, you know what's going to happen is we're going to get to Cyprus and the governor's going to be like, hey, come tell me the gospel of Jesus. Like that could not have been the plan, right? But that's what ends up happening because they have the mindset, they have a strategy, and now their tactics are going to have to change. Now, interestingly enough, in this first evangelistic story of the Apostle Paul, we don't get what he said. We don't know what he was preaching to Sergius Paulus. Now, we find out the Gospel of Paul in the very next chapter, and, and get excited for that next week, because it's the same as Jesus' Gospel, it's the same as John's Gospel, it's the same as Peter's Gospel, it's the same as Stephen's Gospel. It all lines up, but, but we're going to talk about that next week, about the Gospel itself. But we don't know what he said to Sergius Paulus, but we do know this. Somebody was in Sergius Paulus's ear going, nope, not true. Liars stupid men. We don't know what the opposition was from Bar-Jesus, who was known as Elymas, but the fact that there is a Jewish false prophet who's messing around in divination in the, in the, in the retinue or the, or the inner circle of a Roman pagan proconsul just tells you that Cyprus was a hot mess of religion, right? I mean, Cyprus historically had been Syrian in terms of its influence, so they, they worshipped the Syrian goddess Paphian, but then the Greeks came and they were like, all right, well, maybe Paphian's Aphrodite. And then, of course, the Romans come, and oh, Aphrodite and Venus are the same people, and then we sort of worship Paphian. And, but now there's a Jewish false prophet. That means there's somebody who's using the scriptures, catch this, using the scriptures in some way and communicating them wrongly to Sergius Paulus. Talk about a barrier to the gospel. Somebody who is, is engaging in their Jewishness, in the history of their ethnicity, is in Sergius of Paulus's ear and giving him disinformation about the very scriptures that Paul and Barnabas need to point to in order to bring Sergius Paulus to faith. And we're worried about someone going, Christians are mean, why would I listen to you? I mean, this is tough opposition, right? This is tough opposition that's being offered here. And not only that, but, but a Jewish prophet who's meddling in divination and darkness, like that just shouldn't be a thing. That's what gets you stoned in the Old Testament. So Bar-Jesus, Elymas, whatever his name is, this guy's a hot mess. And Paul calls him out. So next time somebody opposes you when you're talking about Jesus, just call them a villain, an enemy of all righteousness, in fact, memorize this. It's the best way to ingratiate yourself with your hearers. All right? Whatever Paul calls Elymas, you just memorize it, and then you just spout that on the people that are opposing you. But what is really the issue here? Who's the boss, right? Is Elymas the boss, or is the Holy Spirit the boss? Remember, the Holy Spirit's the guide in all of this. Holy Spirit sends out Paul and Barnabas. They were sent by Holy Spirit. Paul says in the Spirit, hey, you're a villain, you're an enemy of all righteousness, you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you are leading things astray. Now I'm paraphrasing, okay? And he says, you will be blind for a time. Well, how long? For a time, right? For those of you who need set times. And like, what time does this service end? You've been preaching for a while. For those of you who need a set ending, 
All right? He, he gets none. He's going to be blind for a time. Okay? Now, this is the end of the message right here. When you have opposition to the gospel, strike people with blindness. I'm kidding, AJ. Sit down. I'm, I'm literally kidding. I, the, no, it's not the end of the message. No. You played right into my hands, though. If you would have been listening, you would have heard strike people with blindness. You would have been like, oh, that's sarcasm. Right, sarcasm. Sarcasm. No, you can't strike him with blindness. Well, I suppose you could. I suppose that the world exists, to use a philosophical term, in which one of you could strike somebody with blindness when they oppose the gospel. But I just want to make mention to you, and I think it's an important biblical point. Who else had been struck with blindness when they themselves were a blind guide? You Bible scholars, do you remember? It's Paul. This happened to him. This happened to him like four chapters ago. Now, probably decades ago, but in his, in his lifetime. This happened to him. He thought he knew the truth about Jesus. He was violently opposed to the gospel, and the Lord struck him with blindness. How could Paul know that, that that would happen to Elymas? Don't you think that something woke up in his spirit and said, you've been here before because it was you. And therefore, from his experience of the spirit, he could meet the opposition. And that's the second point I want to make to you. Opposition must be met with our experience of the spirit. Where we have been with God. What we know of God's presence and his spirit. So unless you've been struck blind, you probably don't want to operate in striking people blind. That would probably be tough. But what have you experienced from the presence of the Lord? What do you experience in the presence of the Lord that then can be taken when you meet opposition out in the world as you share Jesus? Because that's all that Paul does. He meets Elias with the same measure of the spirit that he himself had understood. What have you understood in the presence of the Lord? What have you seen and experienced in the safety of this body or in the safety of another church body where the Spirit of the Lord was keenly felt? Because out there in the world, the Spirit of the Lord is going to need to be keenly felt if we're to meet our opposition. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important to our message and our ministry. That's why Jesus said to his well-trained disciples, ones who had been with him for three years, Don't go until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Don't go until you know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit because you're going to meet this opposition. You're going to meet it. Of course, let's get right to the results now. Some of you are very results-based. What's the result? Sergius Paulus believes. that's, that's That's the great part. That's the end of the story. Sergius Paulus believes What was needed for him to believe? Let's look at verse 12, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. So Elymas, I would say is silence, but technically he's blinded, right? The proconsul believed when he saw what occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What astonished Elymas? the teaching. So, if I may be so bold, Elymas got struck blind. Cool. What they're saying about Jesus, 
awesome. Sergius Paulus was astounded at the teaching of the Lord. He sees a demonstration of the Spirit, but he understands the word of the Lord. And let's bring this thing full circle. Why did I not start in verse 7 or 8? Or I'm sorry, verse 4 or 5. Why, why didn't I just tell you the story of Elymas and Paul? Why did I start in Antioch? Because of the very simple final point I want to make to you. What took place in church was needed to convert the unbeliever. The same thing that took place in Antioch, the strong teaching and preaching of the word plus the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, was the very same thing that was needed to convert Sergius Paulus, according to verse 12. So what happens if the church lacks one? What if we don't teach and preach the word in a way that it can be understood and then disseminated? And what if the people of God don't understand the presence of the Holy Spirit, but rely upon the word alone? Sergius Paulus stays unconverted. Or... Fill in the name that you want to see come to Jesus. That's why it's important not only that you hear the word of the Lord when Pastor Matt preaches or when your life group meets, but that you experience the presence of the Spirit because he is the one who has the strength and the power to overcome the opposition that you'll face in the world. For some of you, if you want to talk intelligently about the word of the Lord, you're going to have to up your game. And that's my challenge to you today. Some of you have been very satisfied for this interaction right here to be all that you do in the teaching of the Lord week to week. And I will tell you, if you want people to come to know Jesus, it's not enough. You need to be studying your scriptures on your own and you should be studying the scriptures with other believers so that you can overcome the barriers that people in this world have. And in the very same token, some of my dear friends here, you would you know, you know that your Bible son and holy Bible, your father son and holy Bible, who don't come to church to enter the presence of the Lord. Just remember the church in Antioch did, and that was their strength. And how do they enter the presence of the Lord? By worshiping, fasting, and praying. Simple Christian corporate disciplines. How would you feel? I'm not doing this, but how would you feel if I looked at you and said, hey, we're searching for the next member of our church pastoral staff. So from next Saturday into Sunday, I'm going to invite you to fast with me. And then instead of showing up at 9.30, please show up at 9 so we can begin to pray for that position. Would that be weird to you or would that just be what churches do? Because that's just what churches should do. Or when we invite you to a pursue night where the idea is we're just going to pray and worship and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that scary? Well, if that's scary, you're the person who needs to be there. Because the Spirit of the Lord is not counterfeit. And he'll change us when we're in his presence. Okay? I'm not trying to be hard or harsh to anybody today. I'm trying to help us recognize what the scripture implies. Which is we need to be strong in the teaching of the word. And therefore, some of us have to up our game and be willing to expose ourselves to the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. We need to be studying it so that we can make a compelling case. 
And for some of us, we need to be powerful in the presence of the Spirit so that we have more to take with us when we leave this place. When I first became a pastor, and I'm talking in my first couple of months, I was invited to a lady's home for a visit, an older lady, and as I sat down with her that day, she told me that she only had a few months to live. That's what the doctors had told her. And I tried to minister to her, but she wasn't all that concerned. She was a pretty tough lady in her mindset and knew who the Lord was. She said, but I have to give you the score about my family. She says, my son is a believer, but my daughter is really opposed to anything spiritual or anything Christian. She might be mean to you when you come to visit me as I get sicker. She'll never pray with you. In fact, she'll, she'll, she's, she's, she's tough. She said, my boyfriend experienced a lot of things in this life and was very hurt at one point by his church. And he's since become an atheist. And he doesn't want anything to do with what you have to say either. And then she said, but I hope you can get through to them. And I thought, oh, that sounds horrible. I'm going to try to minister to you, but if they're mean to me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm human too. I'm a middle child. I can't have people upset with me. So I went time after time first to her chair, then to her bedside. And one of them would open the door, either the daughter or the boyfriend, and it was very curt and it was very short. Mom's in there. She's in there. And then they'd escape to another room. In the off chance that they were in the kitchen moving about when I was praying or ministering to this lady, I'd say, would you like to come join me for prayer? No! And that's not overdoing it. It was, don't you try get away from me, pastor, or whatever you are. They probably thought I was a villain, an enemy of all righteousness. Long story short, they, they wouldn't come around when I was there. They wouldn't even greet me when I left. I'd have to leave and just assume they'd come back. Got to be around the last time that I got to visit this lovely lady. And at that point, she was no longer responsive. I thought, I don't know what to do. Now, I've done this a million times since. That's hyperbole for those of you who need rugged accuracy. But I've done a lot of times since. But I thought, I don't know what to do. She can't respond to me. So I just began to worship the Lord as I sat by her bedside. Now I know that's what you should do. I didn't know it at the time. So I just began to worship, closed my eyes, put my hand on her hand, and just began to sing songs of the faith. And I can't tell you how much longer, but I looked up and there was her daughter and her boyfriend, both in tears by her bedside. And that day I said, would you like to pray over her with me today? And they both went. And at the day of the funeral, he came up to me after the message of the gospel and said, I'm going to go back to my church. And she hugged me and said, thank you for your words today. They were meaningful to me. Her brother, who was a believer, came up to me after and said, I can't believe my sister sat through that. What broke down the opposition? The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord in worship that day. Something I'll never forget. 
It wasn't my plan, true story. In fact, I was at a loss. But I learned the concept of Acts chapter 13. And I hope we can learn it too. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We adore the Lord Jesus. We worship and glorify his name. And therefore, you are welcome. For the Bible tells us that no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of the Lord. We are told that you are the one Holy Spirit that will convict the world in regards to sin and truth and righteousness. Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. If in any way we have rejected you, we repent of that today. Help us to be more open to times of prayer and worship. Help us to be more ready to hear a word from you, spoken softly or simply, or loudly and ecstatically. Help us not to fear our great counselor and the one who points to Jesus. We say again, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Lord, we have loved ones, people that we care about, co-workers and neighbors who need to know Jesus. And in our flesh, we are at a loss at times in how to help them. Holy Spirit, fill us up to overflowing. not so that we can have the perfect tactics, but so that we can know what you're asking us moment by moment to demonstrate Jesus to a world who needs him. And Lord, if there is a portion of us today who have not taken the teaching of the Lord seriously. Who have not considered studying our Bible with earnestness or being taught the scriptures among other believers that you would break down our pride and our apathy and allow us to do all the things that you have called us to do. Because the world needs you, Lord Jesus. And we are your light. We are your people. So convict our hearts. Make us new and change us in whatever ways we need to be changed. 
Perhaps you recognize the old chorus that AJ's playing on the piano today. If there's part of you that needs to surrender a way of life to the Lord today, would you sing that along with me? I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Would you stand and sing it one more time? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a Lord worth surrendering our yesterday and today for your tomorrow. Lord Jesus, continue to work in our hearts to be all that you've designed us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.